How many of you know that all you need is a word from the Lord to do His will? Christ went to the cross. Three days later, He rose again. Today, it is finished. Hello and welcome to my podcast listeners. I am very excited that you decided to join me today on my second episode of Kingdom Talk with Tanya. You're listening to Kingdom Talk with Tanya. I'm also excited to share that I had so much positive reception from my very first episode that I was going to post once a month and starting in May... I will be posting two episodes a month, the first and the third Saturdays. So please be on the lookout for two episodes a month from me. Today, I'm excited to share with you a message about the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yesterday, we celebrated Good Friday where Christ went to the cross. And tomorrow is Resurrection Sunday, where three days later he rose again and is now sitting at the right hand of God the Father. So today, the title of my message is, It Is Finished. The text comes from John 19, 28 through 30. And the Bible says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. And again, that's John 19, 28 through 30. Can you imagine the scene? If you've seen the Passion of the Christ, you have an image of Jesus' final days, including this very last day when he was nailed to the cross. You know the story. Next to the story of Jesus' birth, which we celebrate on Christmas, is probably the most talked about story in the Christian church. And honestly, it's the most important story in the Christian church as far as I'm concerned. Today, what I want to talk to you about is the reason that Jesus went to the cross. The reason he went to the cross. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 and 13, And now abide faith, hope, love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. What else could Jesus have gone to the cross for except for love? And you know the most famous scripture in the Bible John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Love. Jesus is love. Jesus said in John 15.13-17, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do whatever I command you, no longer do I call you a servant. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. 
These things I command you, that you love one another. That scripture is so rich. There's so many nuggets there that can be pulled out. Think about it. We are a friend. We are a friend of the Lord. But there's a prerequisite there. We're a friend if we obey Him. And it also says that we didn't choose Him, but He chose us. He chose you. He chose me. Think about that for a minute. If you get nothing else out of this message that I'm going to share with you today, get that, that Jesus loves you and that He chose you. And that whatever you ask in his name, he will give it to you. One of the things I love most about this love story of Jesus finishing his work here in the earth by going to the cross for us is that he knew that he would be betrayed by Judas. He prophesied it in John 13 and 18. He knew that Peter would deny him three times before the rooster crowed. And of course, they were his disciples. And he also knew that the people that a couple of days later that were uh, praising him and crying out to him as he entered into the town and, and they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, pray for us, save us. Jesus, they looked at him and they saw him as the king. These same people he knew would be the same ones that would three, two days, several days later, later be yelling out, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus knew that he was going to be beaten lied on, chastised, betrayed, made to carry his own cross, been nailed to it, had crown of thorns placed on his head, had a, his side pierced, and he didn't want to do it. He did not want to do it. The Bible says in um, Luke 22, 42 and 44 that, that Jesus said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then the sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus was so grieved right here that his sweat was like blood. Imagine that. He didn't want to go to the cross, but he wanted to do his Father's will. He was born for this moment. He walked the earth for 33 years. He performed miracles. He set an example of servanthood, and he did it all for this very moment to go to that cross to die for you and for me. God was made a man to give us a new covenant, to wash away all of our sins once and for all, to wipe the slate clean for everyone who believes that he is the Son of God and that he died on the cross for your sins. And if you had been the only one on the earth, he would have still died just for you. Do you believe that? I hope you do, because if you don't, I don't want you to leave this podcast today ever doubting that again. He knew you were going to end up divorced. He knew about the abortion before you even knew you were pregnant or before you were pregnant. He knew that you would be a single parent. He knew about your insecurities. He knew that you would lie, cheat, and steal. He knew that you would have doubts and that you'd be afraid. He knew all these things. Fill in the blank. But he still loved you. He loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you and for me. You see, Adam and Eve, when they ate from the tree of life in Genesis, we were placed under a curse. And in the Old Testament, the Israelites had to sacrifice an animal for their sins. And 
I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm reading the Bible right now in chronological order, and I'm in the Old Testament, of course. I'm a hundred and some days in. And there were a lot of laws and rituals that the Israelites had to obey. And they suffered a lot, too, for their sin and for their disobedience. But they had a high priest that had to go into the holy place in the Ark of the Covenant to make petitions for their sins, for, to make atonement for their sins once a year. But Jesus, the Jesus came to be our high priest. In Hebrews 9, 11 through 15, it says, But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of heifer sprinkling unclean sanctifies the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God cleanse you and your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, Christ is our mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So now that we understand this, we understand that Christ became the new covenant and he died on the cross for our sins. And I'll tell you what, I would not have wanted to be born in the Old Testament. I'm so grateful that I came after Jesus uh, lived and died and set that example and then left his Holy Spirit uh, to live on the inside of, of you and me. I'm, I'm so grateful that I was born when I was I would not have wanted to come before Jesus um, came to the earth. I'm so grateful for it. And I'm so grateful for the example he set. But because now we understand how much he loved us, how much God loved us, that he would send his son into the earth, let's talk about our responsibility regarding love. That's what I want to talk to you about today. So the Bible says that love is above faith and hope. The first person that we must learn to love is the Lord and some people find that difficult because they can't see them, they can't touch them. But I promise if you build a relationship through prayer and read the, reading the Bible, going to a Bible-based church, having relationships with other people who believe, your faith will be built up and you will begin to hear from him and you will begin to know how real he is. Jesus' response to one of the Pharisees that questioned him about the great command of the law, he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And that was in Matthew 22, 37 and 38. And then in Matthew 10, 38 and 39, it says, And he, he, he who does not take up his cross and follow after me, he is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. In essence, this means that God comes first. He, become, he comes before everything and anything. He comes before your mother and your father. He comes before your spouse. He even comes before your children. He is our creator, and he knows us better than anyone, and he loves us more than anyone. He is worthy to be praised. And you know what? Sometimes you have to leave everyone else behind just to follow Christ. I remember back in 2013 when I had this opportunity to take a position 
in my career in Maryland. And when the position was presented to me, I, I was a little perplexed because my daughter was in her junior year of high school, the second half of her junior year. And honestly, Maryland is somewhere I never dreamed or imagined of going, moving to. If I moved anywhere, it would be further south. I'd be going to Florida. But anyway, this opportunity presented itself to me, and I prayed about it. And then I went home from work that day, and I knew the very first thing I needed to do was get my daughter's blessing because she was a junior. My son had already graduated. So I went home, and I said, Jasmine, how would you feel about moving to Maryland? And her response was, let's go. And I'm like, what? So as it turns out, it ended up happening, and I relocated to Maryland for five years. It was an amazing move. It was one of the best things I ever could have done in my life, and it was all God. I know it was all God. Sometimes we think we want a certain thing. I wanted to go to Florida if I went anywhere, but God intended for me to go to Maryland. He wanted to remove me from my comfort zone. He wanted to take me away from, from my family and my friends so that I could focus on him. And I will tell you what, in those five years, my relationship with God grew exponentially. I went to another level spiritually. So I don't know who that's for, but sometimes we're at a crossroad and God is telling us to go somewhere. And there are going to be times that we need to be pulled away or removed from our comfort zone so that we can follow him and do his will. So I appeal to you to be obedient when he is telling you to do something that may not feel comfortable to you. And then give him glory and thanksgiving for everything, even the hard things, because we he loves us so much, we have to learn to love him back. So after we learn to love the Lord first and foremost, who must we learn to love next? Well, the Bible says in 1 Peter 4 and 8, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And then in Mark 12 and 31, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So my belief is you must first learn to love God and you must second learn to love yourself. Because you can't properly love other people if you don't know how to love you first. And I believe that when you learn how to love God, by default, you will learn to love yourself. But until you know who you are and you believe what the Bible says about you, like, for example, in Philippe, uh, Psalm 139 and 14, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and Proverbs 19 and 8 that says to acquire wisdom is to love oneself. You must learn to love oneself. God wants you to love yourself. God wants you to know who you are, who he created you to be. Now, there's a fine line to loving oneself because self-worship, is sin. that's a sin. And this is happening today. The Bible speaks of it in 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 2, that in the last days, people will become lovers of themselves, boastful and arrogant. If this is you, that is pride, let it go. Because pride goeth before, a before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You will fall if you're prideful. We don't love ourselves for who we are. We love ourselves for who God is on the inside of us. We know that we are nothing without him. So our confidence should come from God and from God alone. Love yourself, but learn how to do it properly and know your limits. You see, a lot of people are dealing with insecurities. They don't know who they are in Christ. Also, a lot of people are putting their trust in man and not in God. 
Man will fail you. God will not. His promises are true. His promises are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He will not fail you. His promises are yes and amen. If God did it for you before, he will do it again. If he did it for someone else, you have to trust that he will do it for you too. So now that we know how to love God and we know how to love ourselves, the next person that we must learn to love is other people, our neighbor. And I want to make something very clear. Love is a choice. It's not a feeling. You ever meet those people that say they don't like people? I'm scared of those people. I am scared of them. Because I know I wouldn't want to be on an island by myself. I think of that Tom Hanks movie where it's him and then a soccer ball. I think it's called Wilson or something. He's by himself on an island. Would you want to be stuck on an island by yourself? I know I wouldn't. I need you and you need me. And isolation, yes, it is good for a season to spend time with God, alone with Him and building our relationship with Him. But to be alone forever and not be around people, that is not healthy. It isn't. You must learn to love other people. And I think that a good place with learning to love other people is your loved ones. A lot of people say, oh, I love my family. I love my friends. But do you really? Do you really? Because sometimes the people that we love the most are the ones we treat the worst. I think about when I was a teenager. I was rebellious. I was I was rebellious. I was selfish. I was spoiled. I really was. I was spoiled. I didn't think I was. Um, you know, I thought I was a middle child. I thought my sister always got her way and she got to do everything. And then my baby sister, my mom just let her run free. And I was the one that she cracked the whip, whip on. And so I was rebellious, I talked back, I had a strong personality, and my senior year in high school, my mom told me that either I could obey her rules or I could get out. So I left. I left and I went to live with my dad and my stepmom my senior year. And eventually, my stepmom got a little tired of me and sent me back home to my mom, so I had to go crawling back to my mother. But my entire senior year, my mom tried to get me to come home, and I wouldn't because I was stubborn. But you see, I, she, what she did was exactly what she needed to do because we have to create boundaries around even the people we love. We have to love our family and our friends, but we must also learn to create boundaries that is so necessary. And we have to do the same thing with our spouse. We have to love him, them and love our family and our friends without conditions. And I will tell you this about love. Love is not saying hurtful things. It's not being mean. It's not being unwilling to compromise. It's not disrespect. Yes, it's necessary to create boundaries if those things are happening. Because God did not create us to be a doormat. And we have a right to create space around the people who hurt us. And we also have a right to demand respect. Sometimes we must even love people from a distance. But we must love them anyway. And I can honestly say that, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm imperfect, but my mom did forgive me and my stepmom forgave me. Thank you, Jesus, which is also the next thing we must learn to do with our loved ones and even with our enemies to forgive them. It's so important. That's part of love. The place that we all sh should get to is, as Paul says in Galatians 2 and 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, when Jesus saw that his disciples were sleeping, he asked them three times at the Garden of Gethsemane 
to watch and pray with him. And all three times he came back and they were sleeping. See, I believe that, that Jesus was asking them that in that moment. First of all, he was getting ready to go to the cross and they didn't know that. But he told them to watch and pray lest you be tempted. You give into temptation. He said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is indeed weak. Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew that Peter was going to deny him and that Judas was going to betray him. And he was telling them right then, pray so you don't give in to temptation. Pray so you don't. And he did it. He prayed. He set the example of prayer. So it's so important for us to learn that we have been crucified with Christ. We, we're nailed to that cross with him. Thank God it's not literal. But we have to learn to crucify our flesh. So when people hurt us, when our enemies hurt us, we still have to learn to love them. When our families hurt us, we have to learn to love them. And we pray for them and we pray for ourselves. Ask God to help us until we see a breakthrough in that situation. Until we're able to actually forgive them. And no matter what, we have to let, walk in love with them. We can't do it alone. We just can't. We need the help of the Lord and we have to ask him because the Bible says with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So it may seem impossible for you to forgive someone and walk in love with someone who's hurt you, but if you ask God to help you, I promise you he will. But you have to want it. You see, Christ died so that we can live, that we might fight the good fight of faith every day. And remember, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. We will be running this race until the day the Lord returns for us. I think of cross country when I was in school, when I think of a marathon versus a sprint. And I used to wonder, what in the world? Why, who would want to run cross country? I'm not a runner, but if I was a runner, I would want to run fast. I would want to run that 100 or 200 meter dash or even the 400 meter dash. There's no way I would want to do cross country. But cross country is a great analogy for that one day at a time. Because I tell you what, people who run cross country, they have endurance, they have stamina, they have patience, all the things that we must learn to have ourselves. It is not a microwave society. It's one day at a time, slow and steady wins the race. So we have to choose to love all people, even in the process and even when it's painful. The last people I want to talk about that we must learn to love is our enemies. And we've been leading up to this very moment. Do you know that there are people in this world that don't like you? I know there are people that I'm sure don't like me. But you know what that means? It means that they're dealing with their own insecurities. Pray for those people. In my morning prayer, I pray for my family and my friends. But I also plead the blood of Jesus over my enemies' lives. You see, Jesus said on the cross before he died, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's Luke 23 and 34. They even mocked him. He's asking. He's making petitions for these same people that sent him to the cross. They mocked him after he said that. Can, I mean, can you imagine? But we did that. That was you and me. We do it every day when we don't forgive other people and when we're ugly to people and when we're mean to people. We're doing it. We do it any we do it every day. God help us to be more like you, to love the unlovable. That's what he said on the cross. Father, forgive them. He asked for forgiveness for us, even though we sent him to the cross. And I say us because we're human beings that miss it every day just like they did in those days. We have to learn to love the unlovable, the ones that mistreat us, the ones that make fun of us, the ones that smile on our face and talk about us behind our backs, the ones that mean us no good. The ones who have hurt us in the past. Many of us have been hurt in the past. 
We have to learn to forgive them. We have to ask God to help us to forgive them until we get there. I recently read a quote that says, Respect your haters. They are the ones who think you're better than them. Imagine if you loved your haters. You could change their heart. And then there are those people that we think hate us or are talking about us, and they're not even thinking about us. So use discernment because everybody is not thinking about you and everybody doesn't like dislike you. So use discernment. Don't always assume the worst about people. People will come to Jesus not because you quoted a lot of scripture or because you took them to church. They will come to Jesus because they see him in you. He's, they see him in you. It's the light that you shine on them. And with that light, sometimes it does come correction. And sometimes comes rebuke. You must rebuke something that someone says that is not of God. Especially words, because words have power. The Bible says life and death is in the power of the tongue. So sometimes we have to correct people and sometimes we have to rebuke them when they say something that's against the truth. I think of the foot washing ceremony where Jesus washed the disciples' feet at the Last Supper. He got up from the Last Supper and began to, you know, prepare to wash the disciples' feet. And this was right before, of course, he was going to the cross. And Peter, good old Peter, Peter who later denied him, Peter said in John 13 and 8, Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash your feet, you have no part of me. Jesus was a bad mamma jamma. Don't get it twisted. He told Peter, you are not mine. I will pretty much disown you. I rebuke you, Peter, unless you, unless you sit down and let me wash your dirty feet. Jesus was tough. And sometimes he did have to create. He went into the temple and knocked the tables over because the money changers weren't using the money properly. Jesus said that there were things that were an abomination to him. In other words, he hates them. I tell you what, he hates the sin, but he doesn't hate the person. He never hates the person. So it's okay for us to hate sin. We should, but we can't hate people. God, he was a jealous God. And he allowed the wrath to come down on a lot of people and punish on a lot punishment on a lot of people. But he did it still with loving them. He did not do anything without love. And we must learn to do the same. And we have to sometimes correct those with whom we love. In closing, I want to share four reminders regarding love. And I'm going to spell it out, L-O-V-E. The first one is L, learn. Learn to love all people, even the ones who've hurt you. And learn to love God first. The second one is O. Obey God's command to love without fail. Love without fail, without conditions. And the third one, V, is value. Value people and respect them, but create boundaries when necessary. And then the last one, E, express the truth in love. Express the truth in love. You don't have to be mean when you're telling someone the truth. And remember, it's okay to give correction. But as my grandma used to always say, if you dish it, you better be able to take it. So if you're going to give someone correction, be okay to take correction too. Make sure you're teachable. So that while you're teaching others, you're allowing someone to teach you as well. I don't know about you, but I want to learn to love like Jesus did. I'm not there yet myself, but I tell you what, I want to be, I want to get closer and closer to it every day. I am so grateful that Jesus first loved us. He gave his God, he gave us his son Jesus as a perfect example of love. 
He was a servant. He was a miracle worker. He's the Prince of Peace and the Lord of Lords. He is our comforter. He's our healer, our strong tower, our redeemer. He is our everything. And he died on that cross for our sins. And three days later, he rose again and is sitting on the right hand of our Father God. So we have God the Father and Jesus, whose son, who was one person here in the earth. But the beautiful thing is, is when he died and he went to that cross, he left behind his Holy Spirit, which is living and breathing and walking on the inside of you and me. And because of that spirit of Jesus that's on the inside of us, he said that we would do greater works than him. He said that. The Bible says that. He said we would do greater works than him. And I think a good place to start with that is love. Let's start with love. Loving all people. Loving our neighbors and loving our enemies. I love you all with the love of Christ, and I thank you again for joining, and I hope you have a very, very, very happy Resurrection Sunday. God bless you today and always. Amen. This was Kingdom Talk with Tanya. Thank you for listening.